Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this March 2015 episode is Map Mania. We're going to start off by getting the latest news from the blogosphere from the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad, who recently was blogging about using davidrumsey.com, which of course is the premier website for historic maps. And then in the top tips segment, Alison Dolan, publisher of Family Tree Magazine, is going to be joining me. She was the editor of the book, Family Tree Historical Maps Book, Europe. And she'll be sharing some lessons on using old maps that she learned from that experience. Then in our 101 Best Website segment, I'll be talking to Greg Boyd about HistoryGeo.com. In the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Tyler Moss and I are going to be talking about using Google Earth for genealogy. And finally, at the publisher's desk, Allison is going to be back with us to share her five favorite online map resources. There's a lot of mapping to do, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. Well, we're going to kick off this March 2015 episode devoted to map mania with Diane Haddad. She is the editor of Family Tree Magazine's Genealogy Insider blog, and she's been blogging about maps. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Uh, you know, you posted recently about one of my favorite websites, which is the David Rumsey Historical Maps website, and you provided some tips for using the site. Tell me about some of your favorites. Yeah, I love that site, too. It's kind of like taking a walk down the street of the place where your relative, your ancestor lived. Yeah. Um, so my first tip was a basic one, um, is to, if you're searching by, you know, by typing in the name of a place, is to be sure to use the right search box, because on the homepage, they have the one in the top, top right corner is the one that searches the maps. And below that, there's another search box that looks at blogs and other paid, like, words on the website. So you want the map search. And then the second tip is to kind of be familiar with the place that you want to find the map for and, um, you know, what geographical divisions it's in. For example, I was looking for the Steinfeld Germany. Well, there are several Steinfelds in Germany. So um, knowing the name of the district it's in and the German state and then the other surrounding towns also helped a lot when I was trying to um, to pick out the right one. Yeah, makes such a difference, doesn't it? And so, so many times those particularly small villages like in a place like Germany, there's multiple ones throughout the country. Mm-hmm. I have that with with my family history. And you mentioned the differences between those two search boxes. And uh, it can give you the sense that there's nothing there if you get in the wrong one. So the, the bottom one is the search the site box. And the top one searches. There's also if you scroll down on that homepage, you find that map rank search. And I love that too, because it gives you both the ability to put in the keyword, the name of the town, and to define the time frame, which is even better because as we know, particularly in other countries, the borders were constantly changing, right? 
Right, and that is a search that I didn't actually cover in this blog post. So it's called the Map Ranked Search, and you can find it by scrolling down on the homepage or in the View the Collection menu at the top of the David Rumsey site. And what that does is let you type in a place that you can find on a modern, say, Google map, and then... um It'll define your area with a rectangle, and then it shows you David Rumsey historical maps that match that area. And then as you scroll over the listings for the historical maps, the rectangle moves around you know, your viewing window to show you exactly what areas each historical map in your search results will cover. So it's kind of a geographical way of searching. Yeah, and within the time frame. So you could say, I just want maps from 1800 to 1840. And mm-hmm. it narrows that result, that results list down, helping you really dig in. And, and there's even more than just maps. You talked about atlases. So talk about some of those more unusual items that you've come across. Right. I was looking in my search results and I saw this page of words. And you're thinking, what, you know, that there's Word, that's not a map. So I clicked on it, and it turns out it's from an atlas, and it is a description of the area where this little town in Germany was. So it talks about the main um, forms of, of income, um, so farming, and then the different religions of the people. It describes the system of government and um, schools. Education was compulsory. It turned out there was a a prison and <laughs> the next town over. <laughs> so just really neat little details that help you understand the place where, um, where they lived. Yeah. You got to love that. I mean, cause it's his collection is so broad. I mean, uh, I know he's up to about 55,000 digital items on the mm-hmm. com website, but that's coming from a collection of over 150,000 uh, pages and maps within the entire David Rumsey collection. So right. there's bound to be a whole lot more in there just besides maps. And all of that certainly can, can help us out with our family history. This is a great blog post. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. It's called Tips for Using the Free David Rumsey Historical Maps website. Thanks so much, Diane. We'll talk to you next month. That sounds good. our theme for this episode is map mania, I did some perusing through our shop family tree store and came across a terrific book on finding and using historical maps. It's called Family Tree Historical Maps Book Europe. Well, the book was compiled and edited by our own Allison Dolan. And I've invited Allison to join me for this top tip segment to talk about the curation process for this book and some of the tips that she can share with us from that experience. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for inviting me to be here. Yeah, well, this book is terrific. And I can just imagine the job that it was putting it together. Um, I'd love to have you share with us some of the things that you had to keep in mind while pulling all of these maps together and uh, some of the tips we might be able to employ in our own genealogical research. Absolutely. Well, first off, I have to say that it was both a treat and a challenge to get to look at old maps for a couple of months. You know, that was my job. I I really, they had to twist my arm to convince me that that would be a good (laughs) idea, right? Right. um, It was really a great project. I was delighted to get to do. Um, But, you know, when you look at the finished product, 
it all comes together so beautifully, but you might not think about all of the challenges and things that you have to keep in mind when you're putting together a book like that. So the book really is a directory, um, an atlas, if you will, of historical maps. And we specifically focused on the time period from the 1700s to the 1900s so that the maps would cover the time period when most Americans' um, ancestors immigrated. Um, that way you could get a better idea of what your ancestors' homeland looked like, what the borders were and all of that, um, when they left and as you're tracing your ancestry back in Europe. So that's important from a research standpoint. Of course, we also wanted the maps to look really nice and be beautiful right. um, to look at. Um, and then they had to be the right size to fit in a printed book. Um, sometimes... I think when you're looking at historical maps, you know, there can be a high level of detail and a low level of detail. And one of the things that um, was interesting about picking maps for this book was finding that right level of detail where a map isn't super useful um, when you're looking at the whole context of, say, you know, the entire country of Germany or Ireland or Poland. If there's so much detail that when you look at it, you can't kind of distinguish one thing for another. If you're looking for certain cities, say, or geographical features, and there's so much on the map and it's so dense that you can't sort one thing from another, that's not super useful. Then again, if there's not enough detail on there, if you're looking for a specific city or location and it's not on the map, that's not useful either. So we really tried to find that balance of picking maps that had just the right level of detail. Um, and some maps... You know, it's hard in a printed book to kind of balance to showing the entire geographic context that is important for research purposes while also making everything on that map legible on the page. So we made a point of picking only maps that had a larger version available online so that if people wanted to go and look at that in further detail, they could go online and do that. Oh, that's great. So it kind of cross references uh, to the maps online, because I, I know one of your sources was, of course, that fabulous David Rumsey website, and he has thousands and thousands of digitized maps. I imagine one of the challenges was that, um, you know, when somebody's looking for a particular country, depending on the time frame, it could be a completely different country, right? How do you cope with yes. the fact that uh, they're they're looking for one name and in reality, you know, when you're curating the map at that point in time, it's a completely different place. Yeah, that is definitely one of the challenges. And when you're using a resource like the David Rumsey Map Collection or the Library of Congress or some of the other sites that um, have historical maps that you can view online, um, it is important to have that understanding of the historical context so that you know what you're looking for. Um, one example that I would love to share is about picking some of the maps for the Eastern European countries. Um, obviously, if you're talking about a country like Slovakia or the Czech Republic, those are modern countries, but they didn't exist in the 1700s. They were part of other countries. They were part of the Austrian Empire, later Austria-Hungary. And so if I look for those places, some cases the Rumsey site might have that tagged, but you look at the map and you go, well, wait, where is it? It's not there because it wasn't necessarily carved out on those maps as a separate territory. Some it was and some it wasn't. So that's definitely something that you have to keep in mind when you're looking at 
the historical maps and searching for historical maps. Also keep in mind how those boundaries change. So if you're looking for some place that was in, you know, kind of a border area, it's great to look for maps of both countries. Um, you may find that they will all be useful. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, of course, one of the other challenges, particularly as we're talking about in Europe, we're talking foreign languages here. <laughs> how did you cope with the language barrier in, in uh, working with these maps? And, and the genealogist faces the same challenge. Yeah, that's a great question, Lisa, because that's not something that you would necessarily, again, think would be a challenge that you had to overcome. Um, for the purposes of this book, because we have an English-speaking audience, we focused on finding maps that are in English. Um, you know, it's hard enough to kind of sort through all of ever, the things that are on a map without having to also sort through language issues as well. Um, so we did try to eliminate that barrier as much as possible. But as you're going out as a genealogist and you're looking for additional maps for your research, um, it is important, I think, to kind of understand that if you're looking at a map that was printed in another country in another language, that you got to know the geographic features and the words for those geographic features so that you know if you're looking at, for example, a town or a river or a um, mountain or anything like that, and even just understanding the key um, in terms of the scale of the map and things like that. But an even more important challenge, I think, for many of us who use maps to look for their um, ancestral hometowns and different other jurisdictions um, that will be helpful for your research, um, the names of those places might be different on different maps if they were published in different countries that spoke different languages. You know, going back to the Czech Republic and Slovakia example, you know, Slovakia was part of... Um, Austria-Hungary um, before World War One, and there was some, um, you know, Austrian influence there as well historically. So there are towns in that area that may have names in Slovak, in German, in Hungarian, and really, I think, kind of ferreting out all the different possibilities for those names is important. And really, the t best tool for that is to use a gazetteer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when, when you're looking for gazetteers, now, one of the things that I like to recommend to people is uh, go to FamilySearch and their wiki and do a search on gazetteer. They've got a, a nice little rundown there on where to find them, how to use them, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something else I love to do when I'm kind of struggling with a town name and you get the sense that maybe I'm not spelling it right, head to google.com and type mm -hmm. it in the way you think it should be. And sure enough, Google will say, did you mean this? <laughs> and they, they're actually <laughs> spelling it out for you in other ways that, that a very, very similar name would appear on the web. And that can be a really fast and easy way to identify the variations so that you can then go back to the map and see if you can't find them that way. That's a great tip. And there are other map websites, too, that tap into the Google Place database, if you will, um, yeah. that can help you ferret that out too. I actually solved a problem in my German research of what was the ancestor's homeland using tools like Google and Maplandia. Yeah, love it. And, you know, of course, when you're dealing with language, you got Google Translate. So yes. there's so many uh, new and, and great tools out there to work with. Well, it's a terrific book. It's called Family Tree Historical Maps Book, and it's on Europe. 
And Allison, thank you so much. And we're going to check back with you towards the end of the show because I want to hear your five favorite places to look for online maps. So I will talk to you soon. Sounds great. Look forward to it. In this 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, we are going to head to historygeo.com. And here to tell us more about it is Greg Boyd, the creator and founder. Hi, Greg. Hey, Lisa. How are you this morning? Doing great and um, excited to talk about my favorite topic, which, of course, is uh, the geography of our ancestors' lives. And I know uh, at your website, historygeo.com, you are focused on all of that. Uh, Give us the quick overview. What's the website about? Well, it it is a wonderful way for people who have ancestry or research uh, interest in basically the western three-quarters of our country. And what we're known for, we do a lot of things, but what we're really known for are mapping original landowners. Uh, as of uh, actually just a couple weeks ago, we hit our 9 million landowner benchmark. And now I have 9 million people in a single map, all of them original landowners here in the U.S., Wow, so we're talking about the the first person to uh, put their name on the property and and own it outright. Is that right? Exactly. I tell people if you've ever bought real estate or know anyone who has, it's it's the person on page one of your abstract. It's the first person that got land from the federal government. And that that takes in states uh, just to be – it's the non-colonial states. It's uh, going Mm -hmm. from Ohio, swinging – through Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, swing back south and east all the way back to Florida, and then all points west. Fantastic. Now, in what form are uh, these maps and information about the landowners? What kinds of um, actual records are we going to be working with on your website? That's a good question, Lisa. Everything is self-encompassed at historygeo.com. That's all you have to have is just a good old web browser and internet access. If you go to historygeo.com, it is a pay service. It's a subscription service with plans as low as $20 for a three-month period up to uh, a year's service for a little bit more than that. Uh, Once you've subscribed, then that gives you full access to everything we're going to talk about. And we've also got a couple of videos there on the homepage, historygeo.com, that tell you everything you're going to be looking at. Exactly. And that's a, a great place to start. You know, check out and watch videos. They say, how does it work? And you, there's two tutorials there. So let's say they've sat down, they watch the videos, and uh, we see a big search box on the top of the page. Tell us the first steps that we should take to start getting involved with the uh, website. Do we need to join right out of the gate? Or um, can we start with searching? Well, that, that's a good question. And, and let, let me take a step back. That search uh, box you're talking about is actually a great place to start. And you can do that without signing up or giving us your email or any of that sort of, of thing. And what that will do is tell you right off the bat whether we've got something that's going to be of interest to you. It's a very broad surname search. So if you'll put just any surname in there, we'll immediately give you a list of the states that we show uh, people by that surname in our maps, and then specifically which tool that they show up in, uh, and that can be which state uh, that they show up in the first landowner's project, or another project we've got, which probably don't have time to get into too much, but it's called an Antique Maps Project, which can encompass or does encompass a lot of the eastern seaboard with old 
survey maps and old uh, atlases from the primarily 19th century. But anyway, that 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 surname search right there on the homepage is a great place to start without having to subscribe. It'll show you all the different maps. Uh, and states and even counties that those people are going to show up in. So if you know you're researching, say, somebody in Texas County, Missouri, uh, the Schwartz family, for instance, you'd put Schwartz in there, and um, boom, here will, it will come and show you uh, here are all the counties in Missouri that the Schwartzes are in, and then you can start seeing if those are going to be your people or not. Uh, we don't uh, make a big deal of it, but if somebody signs up and doesn't, this says this is not for me, and emails us, we'll we'll cancel and refund them immediately. Uh, we've only had that happen a few times in our history with thousands and thousands of subscribers. That's how sure we are that you're going to like what you get here. But uh, that people really do have a no risk opportunity to use our service, and and many take advantage of it. So I did I did just what you said as you were talking. I put in um, first state, and that brought up which counties were available in the state. Then I also did a surname search, which then showed me across the country where you have indications of that name. And I see that a little map pops up. And this doesn't look like a typical historical map. This looks like something where you've taken data and plotted it out. If It says, you know, when you start your subscription and you click through, Will we be seeing kind of a, a data visualization of this information, or are we going to be looking at old historic maps? No. If if the person or the family you're researching uh, happens to have had land in the and this thus far we've mapped uh, those nine million people in 21 different states. So if they're if they're going to, for instance, say we went to the main first landowner's tool and you put let's I said the work name Schwartz. It would show you all the states that the Schwartzes come in, and this would be visually in a U.S. map. You would click on the state you're interested in. That would drill down to, say, Missouri, show you all the counties that the Schwartzes are in, and and so on. You can click on Texas County, then it would take you all the way down to Texas County and show you where all the Schwartzes are, and so on. So there's... There's a lot of ways to get to the information, and this map we're talking about is something we drew. It's not uh, not uh, something that you could go get anywhere else. Uh, right. Those nine million people uh, in that map have never been mapped before, at least not in total. So, and the really fun thing about it is, uh, and we used to, and we still do, we publish these in book form for about 500 counties uh, at our parent uh, company, Arfax Publishing. But the fun thing about this is, if you're say your ancestor is on a county line, well, you won't have to buy the book for the next county like you used to have to. Now they're right there next door to them. The county lines don't mean anything uh, visually in the map. It's mm-hmm. a single map of the entire United States. So all that stuff comes together in a really organic and easy way. And those yeah, videos, very unique way. Yeah, those videos really tell the tale. I get kidded uh, often. Uh, a lot of our clients in the points north, uh, my little accent, but uh, you have to get used to it a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> But those video- videos, particularly the first landowners, is over 30 minutes long. So it's more than just a, a quick and, and it's a real down and dirty and here's exactly how you do it, kind of a, an education opportunity. Perfect. Well, there you have it. It's going to be easy to go check out historygeo.com. Um, head to the website. You can start off with the videos and, and get the real sense of, of what's here. It's a very unique collection of information that uh, could certainly make a difference, particularly if your ancestors were first landowners. Great site. Thank you so much for joining us on our Map Mania episode. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you so much, Lisa. Hello, 
everybody. This is Tyler Moss, the online editor of Family Tree University here. And for this Family Tree University Crash Course segment, we're going to turn the tables a little bit. And I'm going to actually be interviewing Lisa about her class for FTU called Google Earth for Genealogists. Thanks so much, Lisa. Hi. <laughs> now, can you give us a quick overview of what Google Earth is for people who may not be familiar? Yeah, it's a um, a free basically software that you can download online. And, you know, when we think of Google.com, we think of it as websites. And first and foremost, a search website, and they have a couple of different sites for different tools they have. But this particular tool is actually a downloadable software program. And that means it's going to sit on your hard drive. And when you use it, you launch it from your desktop, just like you would any other software program. Um, but it is absolutely free. And in fact, the big thing that happened in the last couple of weeks is Google Earth Pro has also gone free. So you can download that and it has a couple of extra features that the free version in the past um, hasn't had, but it's essentially a 3D mapping tool. It's a way to search for places and um, create and save your own maps to keep them for yourself personally. And then also to access a lot of great online data that's available right through the Google Earth interface so that you can um, use it in a ton of different ways. Well, and as you mentioned, it sounds like it has a lot of different applications, but maybe could you give us some specific examples of, as a genealogist, how you specifically are using it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, first and foremost, what will catch your eye is the fact that it includes historic maps right in Google Earth. And those are found in the Layers panel. And they come from the David Rumsey website, davidrumsey.com, which we've been talking about on this episode, certainly, and with our mapping theme. Um, these are free digitized maps that the David Rumsey folks have actually geo-referenced. So when you open them up and turn them on in Google Earth, they match up as closely as possible with the modern day map. And you can actually interact with it. It's like a time travel experience. You're getting it looking at today's map as well as in the past and, and the old maps. Um, now, there to me, there's a couple of different aspects of Google Earth that really play into the genealogist's needs. And that is one for analysis. It gives you an entirely new way to visualize your data, essentially. So that means you can plot out all of your data and, um, or, you know, whatever data applies to the research challenge that you're facing and really be able to see it in a geographic kind of a way, which of course, when you think about genealogy, it's all about geography and time frame. And that's the context that we're working in. So I use it all the time to analyze the data that I've been collecting and try. And it, it's amazing how often seeing things in context altogether will have something jump out at you and you'll go, Oh, I didn't think to look over there. Or, oh, look at how they're all clustered together. And it wasn't obvious to me when I was just looking at documents sitting on my desk. Um, but another aspect and another way that I use it quite often is besides just research, which is looking for locations, finding places on the map, uh, using the historic maps, just regular research work. It's also the storytelling component. And I think this is probably an element of Google Earth that, that really isn't obvious at first glance, but it's actually really powerful because you can, while you're plotting out this information, you can include in your place markers, photographs, images, even elements of, of Google Books, a digitized book that you found online, um, videos, 
any kind of you know, text information that's been transcribed, whatever applies to that particular location, you can include this in your place marks, and then you can take your viewer on a moving digital tour of the world, um, accessing all this different content, and you can record it right in Google Earth. Uh, you know, Tyler, Google Earth Pro, the one that just went free, that includes um, an HD version of um, recording your tours, which makes it even better. So it's like kind of creating a, um, not really a DVD, but a video or even like a video game um, that's just going to blow the socks off, particularly the non-genealogists in your life. And it's going to help them visualize and kind of get why all this family history is important and really exciting. Absolutely. It sounds like such a neat way to really visualize and kind of um, interact uh, in a, yeah, in a, like a multimedia way with your, with your genealogy through these maps, which is so cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. You bet. And I encourage everybody to give Google Earth a try. Go download it. Uh, go to Google and just type in uh, Google Earth Pro download and make sure you use the official Google site. We'll have a link in the show notes for it and then uh, play with it. And Tyler, I have a free video on my website that they can go and watch and just kind of get an introduction to it and see what you think. It's called Google Earth for Genealogy. It's at genealogygems.com. And you can watch that one hour class and really see a real life example of how I as a genealogist use Google Earth. I think you'll probably come up with some new ideas of how you would want to use it as well. And uh, then in the Shop Family Tree store, we have my Google Earth for Genealogy video tutorial series. So if they really want to, you know, if you're listening and you're thinking, oh gosh, I'd like to do some of those more specific projects, it's step-by-step video instruction with me walking you through it. And that kind of is a companion to my book, The Genealogist's Google Toolbox, which is the brand new second edition. So you can find all that in Shop Family Tree, and we will have links to those uh, in the show notes. So uh, happy Googling, everybody. Happy Googling. Let's wrap up this map mania episode with Allison Dolan at the publisher's desk. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, welcome back. You know, we've covered a lot of geographic ground in this episode. And as I mentioned at the end of the top tips segment, I know that you have some mapping favorites. So hit us with your five favorite online map resources. With pleasure. Okay, number one is Google Maps. And I have to say that aside from my genealogical reasons for loving this, I am so geographically and directionally challenged that Google Maps <laughs> literally changed my life. I get lost so much less frequently than I used to before Google Maps existed. So that's wonderful. Um, from a genealogical standpoint, though, Google Maps is so great because you can instantly find um, places that pop up in your family history, learn more about them. I also love overlaying the satellite images on the map so that you can get a better sense of the lay of the land and what buildings and structures are there and maybe get a better sense of um, how it may have changed since your ancestors' time. So that's number one. Oh, and I got to tell you, they just celebrated a birthday 10 years last month. That's amazing. It feels like yeah. that 10 years has flown by. <laughs> can you imagine? It's, it is. It seems like it's flown by and it's come such a long way as far as how they've upgraded that tool. So that's a great one. Okay, number two. Number two is maplandia.com. I used this site to really help unpuzzle a mystery involving one of my ancestors' um, homelands in Germany. I had a 
place that I thought was a town or a pretty local jurisdiction, and it was mangled, as you might expect, <laughs> um, through oral tradition. And so Maplandia pulls off of the Google Place um, Names Index, so it's kind of pulling in that Google Maps data. Um, and then it also overlays some other things, and it helps. Um, it provides some additional information about places. So using that, it's really good for Europe. I tried plopping in sort of different variations of what I thought that place name would be. And by, you know, I got several different um, options for places, real life places in Germany. But seeing that overlay on the map is what helped me pinpoint what was the right place because I knew it was in a certain area of Bavaria. And by seeing the place that popped up on the map that was next to an already confirmed location in that family line, I knew that I had the right place. And then I was instantly able to go to the family history library and find the microphone records for that location. And I had my whole um, ancestral research off to a great start. Oh, fabulous. Okay, that's Maplandia dot com l-a-n-d-i-a all right number three number three sanborn maps um these are the fire insurance maps that were created in the um, 1800s and 1900s and a lot of times you can find a subscription database of sanborn maps available through your public library so check for it there these maps are great because they give you such an awesome overview of what your ancestors' neighborhood was like down to what kind of buildings were where. Um, one thing that I've seen people do that's really cool is taking, you know, say, a census return and looking at all the names on the street and then comparing that or sort of overlaying that information um, with a Sanborn map so you can really see who was where. Um, you can get a sense of where your ancestor probably would have gone to church or gone shopping, um, where the nearest um, businesses were for different things that they might have done. So that's super helpful, and they're fun to look at. Oh, yeah. And, you know, over at Library of Congress, they have a terrific um, website devoted to Sanborn Maps. Uh, it's loc.gov slash rr slash gog map slash Sanborn. I know that's a long one. We'll have it in the show notes for you. But I, I couldn't more agree that I love the Sanborn Maps and the detail that you get on those. Yes, well, you've just made a perfect segue to my number four, Lisa, which is the Library of Congress. <laughs> yes. The Library of Congress has a wonderful collection of maps, and while only a fraction of them have been digitized and put online at this point, the ones that are available are so um, great and useful. If you go to loc.gov slash maps, you'll find quite a wide variety of maps from different time periods and different styles of maps. One type of map that I really like is the panoramic maps of different cities across the United States. Oh, um, yeah. You've probably seen some of these appear in Family Tree Magazine before if you're a regular reader. And they're just so, I think, interesting and fun to look at. You know, you've got that sort of 3D representation of what the city, how the city was laid out. And um, it's an art form as well as a geographical reference. Absolutely. Some of those are just beautiful. They are. All right. And number five. Number five. Drum roll, please. <laughs> the David <laughs> Rumsey Historical Map Collection. We talked about this earlier with um, compiling the book, how important of a resource this was. 
David Rumsey just has so many amazing maps, and the best thing about that site is the level of detail that you can zoom in on those maps. They are such high resolution, and you can get down and see the most tiniest speck of detail in those maps using their special map viewer. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're just amazing, and you can export them. That's the thing. They, they make them available to you for free that you can export them, and you can get that really high-resolution map. Um, I love if you get to that home page and you scroll down at the bottom, they have that map rank search. And if you launch that, that gives you that ability to not only search by location for the map that you want, but search by time frame. And of course, that makes such a difference, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So definitely put that one in your toolkit of map resources. Awesome. Well, that's davidrumsey.com. And at last count, when I checked, they were at about 55 thousand digitized maps online. Well, what a fabulous list. Okay, number one, Google Maps. Number two, Maplandia. Number three, Sanborn Maps. Number four, Library of Congress. And number five, David Rumsey. The perfect way to wrap up Map Mania. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this March 2015 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out the Family Tree Historical Maps Book Europe. You'll find it over at shopfamilytree.com. And you can head to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode. And those will include the tips and links and everything else that we talked about in today's episode. And finally, head on over to Family Tree University, where you can enroll in the Google Earth course, where you can learn all about using Google Earth for your family history. Thanks again for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems podcast, which you'll also find available for free through iTunes. And we do have an app for all your mobile devices. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. 